You're listening to In the Public Interest, a monthly news show brought to you by KTSW News. Each month, we provide in-depth coverage of hard-hitting topics such as the environment, city affairs, and campus life. In the Public Interest. If it's in our community, it's in our interest. Texas State University in San Marcos was established in 1899 as the Southwest Texas State Normal School. The school underwent five name changes before finally landing on Texas State University. The school is currently home to over 38,000 students and is the largest public university in the state of Texas. With an abundance of students who travel from other cities, other states, and even other countries, it can seem overwhelming having to accommodate for the needs of these students. So how does the city of San Marcos and the university provide the adequate transportation these students need? Reporter Christian Delgado has a story. Texas State students often find themselves stressing about two things, maintaining good grades and finding reliable transportation to wherever they need to go. Every student faces a unique challenge as many don't have vehicles, bikes, or even a bus route near their home. Fortunately, Texas State University and the city of San Marcos tried their best to accommodate everyone by offering various methods of transportation to assist students in getting from point A to point B. From the university shuttle system to a bike share program, students have options of getting around town. Texas State students often complain about the shuttles not arriving on time and being overcrowded. As each student pays $95 each semester in their tuition for the shuttles, it's understandable that everyone would want them to be more convenient. The university's transportation services team acknowledges these concerns as they aim to provide resolutions to these issues. Director of the Texas State Transportation Services, Stephen Herrera, says he advises students to plan ahead when taking the shuttle to prevent overcrowding. Well, the, the capacity is an issue during peaks, and so it's uh, it's something that we try to, to bring resources during those periods. The challenge is we have a lot of students that want to only give themselves a small amount of time before their class starts, and if that's during those peak periods, you're going to be competing with everybody else trying to get to campus. And so the best strategy is give yourself enough time to to make those connections and get to campus on time. Herrera also mentions that there are weekend shuttles available for those wanting to travel to nearby outlets. Uh, we also have uh, those routes terminate on campus in the LBJ student bus loop. And so, you know, you can kind of transfer there from, from uh, maybe you're coming to campus and want to go out towards uh, some of the shopping options that we offer on that route on the weekend. And it actually stops at the Target and goes out to the outlet malls. And that information is all on our website. Herrera also states that there are transportation methods for students who wish to travel back home to the Houston and Dallas area, which are available to view on the official transportation services website. So we've uh, partnered with uh, Kerrville Bus Company, and so they offer uh, what they call a weekend shuttle home. And so there's a website portal that uh, is a link from our website that you can go to. And essentially, you can make your reservation for whatever weekend you would like to to travel in your destination and coordinate that with your schedule. Uh, essentially, the, the, their service leaves our campus typically on Fridays, like at 6, 6.30, and they go to, they go north, so they'll go to Austin, stop in Austin, Waco, Dallas, and I'm not, I think it's maybe Grand Prairie is the last stop, but uh, again, get the, the best information off the website. And then we also, they also offer a trip to the Houston area. The university holds a total fleet of 48 shuttles for all 10 routes to provide the most effective service as the shuttles aim to reach each stop within eight minutes of each other. For students that may not live near a university bus stop, there are still other available options that many are unaware of. Starting with the city's Capital Area Rural Transportation System, also known as CARTS, offers bus services that go on seven routes around San Marcos. 
CARS Community Service Director Dana Platt says that students are allowed to ride a shuttle as it's part of their tuition fee. So the bus is a city bus that goes around the town, and Texas State students can ride the bus as part of their admission as a student. It's offered. All they have to do is show um, their student ID. And we have seven different routes that go around town. And Texas State students ride. They just they don't have to. Their fare is like included with their tuition, so they just have to show their student ID and hop on board. Platt also says that CARTS offers additional services with an express bus for students that travel from Austin to San Marcos. There's other services that we have. We have an express bus that goes from Austin to Texas State that a lot of students utilize and ride that bus. It picks up um, downtown Austin at Plaza Saltillo and also at South Park Meadows in Austin, and it goes directly to the university. Students are encouraged to research and take advantage of these shuttle options as it's included within their tuition. From traveling within city limits to hopping on an express bus to visit mom and dad for the holidays, there's transportation methods for anyone in need. Along with the introduction of the bike share program, VeraRide, it has gifted both students and community residents with another method of transportation around San Marcos. All within a mobile app, individuals are able to pay a fee, scan a VeraRide bike to unlock, and ride to wherever they desire. The bikes charge the user based on the time spent riding. The bikes become vital for students who don't have vehicles or miss the bus when trying to reach campus. VeraRide fleet manager of San Marcos, Michael Bailey, says VeraRide aims to provide the community with another source of transportation. So we are safe and environmentally friendly way. We see the traffic congestion and just the, the over-reliance on single occupancy vehicles uh, as, as a, a real negative uh, across the country, and we think we have a solution to, to help with that overall. With various transportation options, students still find themselves with the challenge of getting to places and the difficulties of finding a parking spot. Several Texas State students feel like the parking on campus is not meeting the needs of the students. I found a place by one of the parks that is relatively close to the theater building. However, there's recent construction going on, so we are fighting to get spots with the construction workers. So if I'm not here at least an hour, hour and a half early, I don't get a spot. One of my friends I know, she would um, get here at like 6 a.m., park, and then just sleep in her car until her class started at 9, just to have a spot. You usually have to wait and see if maybe a spot will open up and that'll make you late, or you have to try, you can either pay to park somewhere, and that's kind of a bummer, because that costs money. Overall, there are plenty of options for students to consider when trying to travel around San Marcos, but when trying to reach and find a spot on campus, students hope for improvement in the future. Christian Delgado, In the Public Interest. Those improvements could be coming sooner than students believe. Reporter Connor Champagne sat down with the Associate Vice President of Finance and Support Services at Texas State to discuss what new changes are in store for the campus. Texas State University is changing with the way its students live, go to class, and experience the campus. From 2017 to 2027, Texas State is implementing what it calls its master plan. Some of the goals for the plan is to increase the amount of available beds on campus, the amount of spots available for dining, and to add an additional 2,000 parking spaces. Nancy Nussbaum says that she handles much of the operations for the master plan. As the associate vice president, I lead the process, so I'm involved in selecting um, an architect to do the plan, and then I'm the person that works directly with them to provide them data, to get the meetings set up on campus to meet with people, um, and basically, um, just put it together uh, and then edited the book that they wrote and make sure that we were following the plan on campus. Uh, I'm also involved in identifying where the funds are going to come from for the various projects. And I sit on programming committees, which means um, we talk to the, the future occupants about what their space needs are, and then we decide yes, they need 
five classrooms, not 10, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. And then, um, then I also sit on design committees and I make sure that the accounts are all funded properly. Uh, it's kind of a, a lot of pieces once the master plan is done too. Last year was the first year that the new master plan was in effect. Nussbaum says that there are several projects that have been completed and others that are currently under construction. Well, we finished um, Ingram Hall, which is the engineering and sciences building. And we held classes in there back in the fall, but the faculty and the labs were occupied over the Christmas break. So everybody should be in there this semester and it's fully functioning. Renovating Encino Hall, which is the health professions building where the three departments moved from up to Round Rock. MIDI, RF MIDI, we're doing a renovation there with the engineering people that moved out and that project hasn't started yet, but it's been planned. Then with the University Events Center, that one's pretty much finished as well. And when athletics left Jowers, then we had a Jowers renovation mm -hmm. project and health and human performance and dance are getting those spaces. Other projects that are currently under construction include Blanco Hall, which will reopen by fall semester, and Elliott Hall, which was vacated after last spring. Elliott Hall was formerly a dorm and is now being transformed into office and classroom spaces. Nossbaum says that there are a number of smaller projects that go on around campus throughout the year. And there's lots of small renovation projects. We probably do over 150 a year on campus, and we do um, renovations of classrooms. We spend about $750,000 a year on classroom renovations. This is Nussbaum's 42nd year with Texas State University. She graduated from Texas State and went to work for human resources before ending up in the Division of Finance and Support Services. Nussbaum is also a large part of the ALCAC library refurbishment that she says will continue until at least 2020. We've had multiple pieces to that. We did um, the infrastructure and then we were doing the learning commons and that should be finished in 2020 sometime. Then we're doing the Whitliffe Gallery expansion. We also had an emergency repairs major project with plumbing that we did and that's finishing up right now. We've done roofing. We've done quite a bit of work in the library so it's probably seemed to some students like it's been under construction the whole time they've been here and they would be right about that. But I think it's all gonna pretty much culminate in 2020. These multiple projects happening around campus, there is a rigorous selection process that occurs to decide which construction company will get the job. Currently, several jobs are being handled by Vaughn Construction, which has done projects like the Galveston National Library. Nussbaum says that for a company like Vaughn to get the job, they must go through a lengthy process. We post for contractors and we get responses in and we may get anywhere from three to six or more responses from different firms and they have to respond on have they done like similar projects have they built projects on budget have they done it on time you know there's certain criteria that they have to meet and then there's a committee that's formed and they interview each of the firms and um and then it's based on a committee selection process. 
Some of it has to do with the fact that, yes, they're already in the building, so it makes sense to use them for another piece of it. Nussbaum also says that, unfortunately, when construction projects begin, parking space may get sacrificed. We have a tendency to want to take out parking for construction laydown, and we're trying to avoid that as much as possible these days. And so if you can have one contractor do multiple projects and only have one area that they're working in, and taking it out of service for the rest of campus, that's the better thing to do. Vaughn may seem like they are on a lot of projects around campus, but according to the Nussbaum, Texas State has employed several other contractors such as Turner Construction, which averages 1,500 construction projects per year globally. As for future parking developments, Nussbaum confirms that there are plans in development. Well, we have a lot under construction right now, um, the Lindsay lot, and we're talking to the Transportation Advisory Committee about making that all residential and making maybe wood um, faculty staff, but that decision hasn't been made. As far as adding more parking than that, um, we currently don't have plans. We're looking for actually land that is remote to campus and busing in, and, and we may be we're, we've started initial discussions about residential students parking remotely and opening up the campus more, um, which will require bus service, um, not just during regular bus hours, but 24 hours. For the full master plan, students can find it under the Finance and Support Services portion of the Texas State website. Connor Champagne, In the Public Interest. Along with new renovations to campus infrastructure, the university plans are providing a new meal plan system for students. This plan hopes to provide more for vegetarian and vegan students who may feel there are not many options to choose from. Gene Brown has more. With on-campus housing at Texas State University comes a required meal plan. The meal plan is required for freshmen who live on campus and is included in the housing package. The meal plan offers a set number of meal trades and dining dollars. A meal trade is when the vendor on campus has a meal that a student can trade in for one meal swipe. A swipe also lets the student into the buffet-style dining halls, but dining dollars work as debit and allow the student to purchase anything from the menu. Texas State offers a variety of on-campus dining establishments, which include two buffet-style dining halls, three retail-style halls with many different vendors, such as Chick-fil-A, Pizza Hut, and Panda Express. But the options are limited in what foods they serve and offer, specifically catering towards the vegetarian and vegan student population. Freshman Jennifer Quintanar, who lives on campus and is a vegetarian, says that although it was easier than she had expected, she wishes that there were more variety of options on campus. Well, honestly, it's easier than I expected because, you know, at Harrison Commons, they always have vegetarian options. I mean, they're not always the tastiest, but they're there. It's not really that bad but I do wish there were more. Um, having different options all the time, like a variety, because even though they offer vegetarian options, it's not always something new and different. It's usually like the same thing that they offer. So I guess just variation. According to PETA.org, Texas State receives a B on the College Vegan Report Card for offering at least one vegan entree, non-dairy milk, labeling vegan entrees, and promoting vegan options. However, with their options on where students choose to eat are still limited. The university's source for what they provide and serve on campus is through the company Chartwells. 
Chartwells is a nationwide dining service company that oversees colleges and universities. With the limited amount of options, Director of Marketing and Guest Services Stephen Granado says that the way in which what restaurants are chosen to be on campus is through focus groups of students and faculty. It's mostly through focus group sessions and surveys. So every year we have, uh, usually it's about eight sessions, and each, each session has about 15 or 20 people involved with it. Um, it's a good mix of, of the residential students, commuter students, and faculty and staff. And we just ask them that, you know, what locations do you like to see on campus? What's some, some concepts as far as, like, what cuisine types? Like, do you want Italian? Do you want uh, seafood? Do you want uh, Middle Eastern or whatever have you? Um, and then so that consensus kind of goes into the mix of, and justify what we're going to bring and when we're going to bring it and where we're going to bring it. Granados also says how they plan to cater towards more vegan and vegetarian options, but also wants to include everybody. Um, we're actually, we partnered with the Animal Rights Club. It's one of the biggest organizations for vegans and vegetarians on campus. Um, kind of get their feedback and understand what they're looking for exactly. Um, we do quantify, you know, as far as what vegan and vegetarian options we have in the dining halls, especially. Um, and then, like, with the input from Animal Rights Club, as well as doing the focus group sessions and the surveys, we figure out what are some missed opportunities we have in the retail spaces to kind of satisfy some needs. Um, I think we're trying to have a good mix of everybody because there's also some students on campus that don't like vegan and vegetarian students. we got to kind of keep, keep that in mind. But, you know, kind of find that middle ground where we're pleasing both parties is kind of our goal. Starting in the fall of 2019, Chartwells is offering a new meal plan for on-campus students as well as commuting students. Granado says that the new meal plan offers more flexibility for students. So again, everything was based off of the, the feedback we received from the student body um, on campus and off campus. And what they were looking for was more flexibility as far as how they can choose their meals in the retail spaces. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the old meal plan system or the meal trades at all, but the, typically they can choose two or three items off the entire menu. And that didn't necessarily work for the vegan, vegetarian, healthy, you know, health conscious student population. Uh, just because they're stuck with just a predetermined meal. So what we want to do is open the window and, and offer more variety. The new meal plan will offer meal equivalencies rather than meal trades. Now students will be able to choose whatever they want from the menu as long as it's under $6. And if it goes over that amount, the student would then use their dining dollars. Students will also be able to customize what meal plan they choose with four different amounts of meal equivalencies and dining dollars. While options are limited with on-campus dining, the variety and choices are improving to include more vegan, vegetarian, and health-conscious students, as well as more flexibility for students all around. Jean Brown in the public interest. Students who live off-campus are not required to have a meal plan. In fact, students off-campus have to adjust to a different lifestyle than those who live on campus. Reporter Juan Garcia has a story. Most students spend their first year at Texas State in a dormitory or a residence hall, while other students are able to skip them completely. But in the end, almost all students will end up moving to an off-campus residence at some point while working towards their degree. Moving away from the residence halls or away from home for the first time for some transfer students can be a scary thought. Thankfully, Texas State offers many resources to students looking for their first home away from home. Texas State has partnered with the City of San Marcos and businesses around the area through the ACT initiative. Program Director at the Department of Housing and Residential Life, Margaret Yockel, explains what ACT is and how it impacts the community of San Marcos. 
ACT is an acronym that stands for Achieving Community Together. ACT is a collaborative program between the City of San Marcos and Texas State University. It's actually an award-winning program as to our ability to work together on issues concerning the university and the City of San Marcos. Along with ACT, the school is also involved with the ACT Ally Program. The ACT Ally Program is where we allow fair and reputable businesses to join as members of ACT and ACT Ally. And those businesses are the, are the businesses like apartment complexes or apartment locators that we use to help the students find places to live or they can help and assist students find places to live. The partnership between Texas State, the City of San Marcos, and the residential businesses that comprise the Allies allows for many high-quality options for students looking to find their first home away from home. The situations for students can be very different. Jazz performance major John Hankins and chemistry major Keegan Lorenzo Choa both live in ACT Ally residences, but John's situation as a transfer student is very different to Keegan's, who arrived here as a freshman. John transferred here for this semester and moved to Point Apartments after spending some time at home and going to a community college. I am subleasing, so I got a good deal on a, in a loft with six people. It's, uh, the rent's not bad and it's pretty spacious. Prior to this, I lived at home. Keegan moved to Sanctuary Lofts over the summer after spending his first year here living on campus at a residence hall. Unlike John, Keegan moved to get away from having roommates. I live in a one-bedroom. Uh, it's a pretty decent floor plan. I live by myself. Keegan was looking forward to having his own place so close to campus, but the apartment did not meet the expectations he had going into the year. You know, going into it, the door to the washing machine broke. Just it completely disintegrated. We don't know how. <laughs> um, there was... Yeah, stuff falling off of the bathroom. There was mold in the bathroom, black mold, I think. Uh, there's just the, the vents um, are were disgusting at the time, and you just dust and crap all over it, and the apartment smelled like smoke. On top of the issues detailed by Keegan, he also had issues with the furniture and still experiences issues with the appliances in his unit. Sanctuary Lofts tried fixing most of the problems, but the results were mixed. They did replace the couch and they did fix the mold. Um, the apartment still smells like smoke. I, they, they came in and supposedly cleaned the vents. Uh, they like pulled me out of my apartment for a day to do that. Uh, but it still smells like smoke and I'll, I even got candles to light and it smells better, but it's not, you can still, so my mom comes in and she can't bear the smell. Keegan is moving to a new place with a new roommate in the fall. He was not satisfied with the value of his current place. I pay above a thousand dollars a month for this place. It's not like they're anything. I, you know, you mean you go into inner city Houston, you can get a pretty decent apartment for that price. Living by yourself, I feel like you're not going to get high-end penthouse, but I mean, you're certainly not going to get the living space that I expected for twelve hundred dollars in San Marcos. John is much more satisfied with his current arrangement, but his assessment of the value of his place remains cautious. Right now I'm paying uh, 400 which is a $250 discount from what it would normally be, which is 650 And I feel like putting together, you know, where it is related to campus and the square footage I'm getting, I think it's pretty good. I don't know if I would be willing to pay 650 for it normally. 
Regardless of what a student's situation is, the school offers many great resources for students looking to move to an off-campus residence at the Department of Housing and Residential Life. So the students come to us and they, they have deer in the headlights. I don't know what to do. I have to move off campus. What am I supposed to do now? Okay, so we have this working relationship with these apartment complexes. This is a great starting place for you. And then we also have housing fairs and we have uh, chances for the opportunities for these apartment complexes to come onto campus. And so there's places where the students can automatically see them with without having go to go to their properties. But then, of course, we encourage the students to go out and look at the properties before they sign a lease to make sure that that is a property they want to look at and to look at several of them before they decide. Juan Garcia, KTSW News. While so many aspects of the campus affect students differently, one thing students all have in common is how they will afford to pay for college. Reporter Hunter Butner has more. So I want to talk to you today about three places where we began to build the great society in our cities, in our countryside, and in our classrooms. So we must give every child a place to sit and a teacher to learn from. Poverty must not be a bar to learning, and learning must offer an escape from poverty. That's former United States President and Texas State alumnus Lyndon Baines Johnson giving his Great Society speech at the University of Michigan in May of 1964. It was here where LBJ would detail his plans for a Great Society, a part of which included the Higher Education Act of 1965. Johnson wanted to expand federal student loans to more than just students seeking certain math and science degrees. More specifically, the Higher Education Act would help provide low-interest loans for students with significant financial need. So how did LBJ's plan to provide the impoverished with educations turn into the $1.5 trillion student debt crisis that we know today? At first, these government programs were extremely helpful, providing new opportunities to people who never thought they would be able to attend college. With subsidized loans created by the Higher Education Act and grants like the Pell Grant, which is created later on in the 70s, students were able to take out modest loans that they could pay off soon after graduating. However, a lot has changed since the 70s and 80s. Texas State alumnus Craig Cuny said that his tuition costs from 1986 were a lot different than what we see today. So I, I did qualify for some Pell Grants, uh, which helped immensely. I remember what the price per hour was. It was $4 a semester hour when I first started. And then they had the audacity to raise it to $12 a semester hour by my sophomore year, I believe, around 1986. Your bill at the end of it for your stuff like your tuition and your dorm and your meal ticket and everything like that. I remember the first time I, one semester, you know, for all that was like 890 bucks. <laughs> when CUNY attended Texas State, the average Pell Grant recipient was gifted $1,200. That would have covered about 75% of a student's tuition in 1986. However, today's Pell Grants on average only cover about 30% of a student's tuition. How did this happen? The first culprit is the obvious one, unprecedented rises in tuition. Like CUNY said, at the end of his semester in 1986, his remaining bill, which included a meal plan and room and board, was only $890. Today, tuition to attend 13 undergraduate credit hours at Texas State, not including a meal plan or room and board, is a little over $4,800. If you're going to be staying in a dorm and eating on campus, you can expect to pay an additional $10,000 for a full year. The factors that determine why tuition is increased like this is a bit of a mystery to most people and can even be confusing to those who handle the school's finances. Assistant VP of Budgeting, Financial Planning, and Analysis, Christine Black, gave me a crash course in the numerous factors that come into play when deciding how much to charge students for a semester. 
there's a lot of different factors that come into that. Um, obviously, some of the big ones include um, what kind of cost the university is expecting to have over the coming years, um, planning for those costs. Right now, Texas State has a space deficit, so planning for capital um, in order to accommodate the needed classroom space for campus to be able to teach classes. You look at inflation rates, um, just general cost of doing business, any new programs that the university is trying to bring online. Utilities is another area where costs have increased. Um, you can see that in your own power bill at home. <laughs> so it, just imagine that on a more larger scale of the university level. So we have to take that into consideration as well. So you have to kind of take all of those into consideration. It's quite a balancing act, but at the end of the day, you want to be very cognizant of uh, the costs that are being passed on to the students, and it's not taken lightly. But rising tuition costs can be expected and accounted for though, right? Like with inflation and stuff? Well, yes. And for a while, tuition rates maintained healthy and expected increases. But this brings us to the second factor that has caused today's student debt crisis. These unprecedented spikes in tuition have vastly outpaced government aid. Federal grants and scholarships have failed to keep up with skyrocketing tuition costs, forcing more students to rely on federal and private loans to pay for their educations. Because of this, student debt has become commonplace on college campuses and among graduates across the country. According to research done by the Delta Cost Project, the spike in tuition seems to have begun in the early 90s, where between 1989 and 1995, the cost to attend a four-year public university increased 35%. Compare that to the decade before, where tuition rates had actually seen a decline at one point. But the trend in increasing tuition continued into the 2000s, rising 50% over that decade. Astute listeners may know that the decade between 2000 and 2010 includes the Great Recession. So while tuition costs maintained their exponential increase, state governments began withdrawing millions in funding from student financial aid programs and slashed the budgets of universities, forcing them to increase tuition in order to compensate. Basically what it comes down to is government financial aid for colleges isn't expanding at the same rate as tuition costs. However, in recent years we have seen some legislation passed to help close the distance, like President Obama's student loan forgiveness program, which began in 2014. And for Texas specifically, the recent approval of a $9 billion increase to public education spending shows that Texas legislators are willing to invest in aiding education once again. Only time will tell if smart legislation will be able to chip away at the mountain of student debt that this country currently faces and move us toward that great society that LBJ once spoke of. Hunter Butner, In the Public Interest. The campus plays an intricate part in every student's life, whether it be the friends they make, the places they live, or the classes they take. The university that sits upon the hill has adapted and evolved through the many generations and will continue to do so for Bobcats in the years to come. Thank you for tuning in to this month's In the Public Interest. You can find all of KTSW's In the Public Interest segments online at ktswblog.net. In the Public Interest. If it's in our community, it's in our interest. Now back to the music.